Act One of Hiatin Timoruminus, The Self-Tormentor, by Terence. Translated by Henry Thomas Riley. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Hiatin Timoruminus, The Self-Tormentor. Dramatis Personae. Cremes, an old gentleman living in the country, read by Adrian Stevens. Metademus, an old gentleman, his neighbour, read by Todd. Clinia, son of Menademus, read by Alan Mapstone. Clitipho, son of Cremes, read by Thomas Peter. Jomo. Servant of Clinia, read by Nima. Cirrus, servant of Clitipho, read by Larry Wilson. Sestrada, wife of Cremes, read by Eva Davis. Antiphila, a young woman beloved by Clinia, read by T.J. Burns. Becchis, a courtesan, the mistress of Clitipho, read by Sonia. The nurse of Antiphila, read by B.L. Newman. Phrygia, maid servant to Bacchus, read by Lian Yao. Stage directions read by Michael Maggs. Scene, in the country near Athens, before the houses of Cremes and Menedemus. The title of the play. It is from the Greek of Menander, performed at the Megalensian Games. Lucius Cornelius Lentulus and Lucius Valerius Flaccus, being Carule Ediles. Ambivius Terpio performed it. Flaccus, the freeman of Claudius, composed the music. The first time it was performed to the music of treble and bass flutes. The second time of two treble flutes. It was acted three times. Marcus Juventius and Titus Sempronius being consuls. The Prologue Lest it should be a matter of surprise to any one of you why the poet has assigned to an old man a part that belongs to the young, that I will first explain to you, and then the reason for my coming I will disclose. An entire play from an entire Greek one. The Hiaton Timoruminus I am today about to represent, from which a twofold plot has been made but one. I have shown that it is new and what it is. Next, I would like to mention who it was that wrote it, and whose in Greek it is, if I did not think that the greater part of you are aware. Now, for what reason I have learned this part, in a few words I will explain. The poet intended me to be a pleader, not the speaker of a prologue. Your decision, he asks, and he has appointed me the advocate. If this advocate can avail as much by his oral powers as he has excelled in inventing happily, who composed this speech which I am about to recite? 
for as to malevolent rumours spreading abroad that he has mixed together many Greek plays while writing a few Latin ones, he does not deny that this is the case, and that he does not repent of so doing, and he affirms that he will do so again. He has the example of good poets, after which example he thinks it is allowable for him to do what they have done. Then, as to a malevolent old poet saying that he has suddenly applied himself to dramatic pursuits, relying on the genius of his friends and not on his own natural abilities, on that your judgment, your opinion, will prevail. Wherefore, I do entreat you all that the suggestions of our antagonists may not avail more than those of our favourers. Do you be favourable. Grant the means of prospering to those who afford you the means of being spectators of new plays, those, I mean, without faults, that he may not suppose this said in his behalf, who lately made the public give way to a slave as he ran along the street, why should he take a madman's part? About his faults he will say more when he brings out some other new ones, unless he puts an end to his cavilling. Attend with favourable feelings. Grant me the opportunity that I may be allowed to act a quiet play in silence. That the servant everlastingly running about, the angry old man, the glutinous parasite, the impudent sharper and the greedy procurer, may not always have to be performed by me with the utmost expense of voice and the greatest exertion. For my sake, come to the conclusion that this request is fair, so that some portion of my labour may be abridged. For nowadays those who write new plays do not spare an aged man. If there is any piece requiring exertion, they come running to me. But if it is a light one, it is taken to another company. In the present one, the style is pure. Do you make proof what in each character my ability can effect? If I have never greedily set a high price upon my skill, and have come to the conclusion that this is my greatest gain, as far as possible to be subservient to your convenience, establish in me a precedent, that the young may be anxious rather to please you than themselves. Act the First Scene One Enter Cremes and Menedemus with a spade in his hand, who falls to digging. Although this acquaintanceship between us is of very recent date, from the time, in fact, of your purchasing an estate here in the neighbourhood, yet either your good qualities, or our being neighbours, which I take to be a sort of friendship, induces me to inform you, frankly and familiarly, that you appear to me to labour beyond your years, and beyond what your affairs require. For in the name of gods and men, what would you have? What can be your aim? You are, as I conjecture, sixty years of age or more. No man in these parts has a better or a more valuable estate. No one more servants. 
and yet you discharge their duties just as diligently as if there were none at all however early in the morning i go out and however late in the evening i return home i see you either digging or ploughing or doing something in fact in the fields you take respite not an instant and are quite regardless of yourself i am very sure that this is not done for your amusement but really i am vexed how little work is done here if you were to employ the time you spend in labouring yourself in keeping your servants at work you would profit much more have you so much leisure kremis from your own affairs that you can attend to those of others those which don't concern you i am a man and nothing that concerns a man do i deem a matter of indifference to me suppose that i wish either to advise you in the matter or to be informed myself if what you do is right that i may do the same if it is not then i may dissuade you it's requisite for me to do so do you as it is necessary for you to do is it requisite for any person to torment himself it is for me if you have any affliction i could wish it otherwise but prithee what sorrow is this of yours how have you deserved so ill of yourself alas alas he begins to weep do not weep but make me acquainted with it whatever it is do not be reserved fear nothing trust me i tell you either by consolation or by counsel or by any means i will aid you do you wish to know this matter yes and for the reason i mentioned to you i will tell you but still in the meantime lay down that rake don't fatigue yourself by no means what can be your object tries to take the rake from him do leave me alone that i may give myself no respite from my labour i will not allow it i tell you taking the rake from him ah that's not fair Kremis, poising the rake phew such a heavy one as this pray such are my deserts now speak laying down the rake i have an only son a young man alas why did i say i have rather i should say i had one kremis whether i have him now or not is uncertain why so you shall know there is a poor old woman here a stranger from corinth her daughter a young woman he fell in love with insomuch that he almost regarded her as his wife all this took place unknown to me when i discovered the matter i began to reprove him not with gentleness not in the way suited to the lovesick mind of a youth but with violence and after the usual method of fathers i was daily reproaching him look you do you expect to be allowed any longer to act thus myself your father being alive to be keeping a mistress pretty much as though your wife you are mistaken clinia and you don't know me if you fancy that i am willing that you should be called my son just as long as you do what becomes you 
but if you do not do so, I shall find out how it becomes me to act towards you. This arises from nothing, in fact, but too much idleness. At your time of life I did not devote my time to dalliance, but in consequence of my poverty, departed hence for Asia, and there acquired in arms both riches and military glory. At length the matter came to this. The youth, from hearing the same thing so often, and with such severity, was overcome. He supposed that I, through age and affection, had more judgment and foresight for him than himself. He went off to Asia, Kremis, to serve under the king. What is it you say? He departed without my knowledge, and has been gone these three months. Both are to be blamed, although I still think this step shows an ingenious and enterprising disposition. When I learned this from those who were in the secret, I returned home sad, and with feelings almost overwhelmed and distracted through grief, I sat down. My servants run to me, they take off my shoes, then some make all haste to spread the couches and to prepare a repast, each according to his ability did zealously what he could in order to alleviate my sorrow. When I observed this, I began to reflect thus. What? Are so many persons anxious for my sake alone, to pleasure myself only? Are so many female servants to provide me with dress? Shall I alone keep up such an expensive establishment, while my only son, who ought equally, or even more so, to enjoy these things, inasmuch as his age is better suited for the enjoyment of them. Him, poor youth, have I driven away from home by my severity. Were I to do this, really I should deem myself deserving of any calamity. But so long as he leads this life of penury, banished from his country through my severity, I will revenge his wrongs upon myself, toiling, making money, saving and laying up for him. At once I set out about it. I left nothing in the house, neither movables nor clothing. Everything I scraped together. Slaves, male and female, except those who could easily pay for their keep by working in the country, all of them I set up to auction and sold. I at once put up a bill to sell my house. I collected somewhere about fifteen talents and purchased this farm. Here I fatigue myself. I have come to this conclusion, Kremis, that I do my son a less injury while I am unhappy, and that it is not right for me to enjoy any pleasure here until such time as he returns home safe to share it with me. I believe you to be of an affectionate disposition towards your children, and him to be an obedient son. If one were to manage him rightly or prudently, but neither did you understand him sufficiently well, nor he you, a thing that happens where persons don't live on terms of frankness together, you never showed him how highly you valued him, nor did he ever dare put that confidence in you which is due to a father. Had this been done, these troubles would never have befallen you. Such is the fact, I confess. 
the greatest fault is on my side. But still, Menademus, I hope for the best. I trust that he'll be here safe before long. Oh, that the gods would grant it. They will do so. Now, if it is convenient to you, the festival of Bacchus is being kept here today. I wish you to give me your company. I cannot. Why not? Do, pray, spare yourself a little while. Your absent son would wish you to do so. It is not right that I, who have driven him hence to endure hardships, should now shun them myself. Is such your determination? It is. Then kindly fare you well. And you the same. Goes into his house. Scene two. Kremers alone to himself. He has forced tears from me, and I do pity him. But as the day is far gone, I must remind Fania, this neighbour of mine, to come to dinner. I'll go see whether he is at home. Goes to Fania's door, makes the inquiry, and returns. There was no occasion for me to remind him. They tell me he has been some time already at my house. It's I myself am making my guests wait. I'll go indoors immediately. But what means the noise at the door of my house? I wonder who's coming out. I'll step aside here. He stands aside. Scene 3. Enter Clitifo from the house of Kremers. Clitifo at the door to Clinia within. There is nothing, Clinia, for you to fear as yet. They have not been long by any means, and I am sure that she will be with you presently along with the messenger. Do at once dismiss these causeless apprehensions which are tormenting you. Kremers, apart. Who is my son talking to? Makes his appearance. Clitifo, to himself. Here comes my father, whom I wish to see. I'll accost him. Father, you have met me opportunely. What's the matter? Do you know this neighbour of ours, Menedemus? Very well. Do you know that he has a son? I have heard that he has, in Asia. He is not in Asia, father. He is at our house. What is it you say? Upon his arrival, after he had just landed from the ship, I immediately brought him to dine with us. For from our very childhood upward, I have always been on intimate terms with him. You announced to me a great pleasure. How much I wish that Menedemus had accepted my invitation to make one of us, that at my house I might have been the first to surprise him, when not expecting it with this delight. And yet there's time enough. Take care what you do. There is no necessity, father, for doing so. For what reason? Why, because he is as yet undetermined what to do with himself. He is but just arrived. He fears everything. His father's displeasure, and how his mistress may be disposed toward him. He loves her to distraction. On her account, this trouble and going abroad took place. I know it. He has just sent a servant into the city to her, and I ordered our Cyrus to go with him. What does Clinia say? What does he say? That he is wretched. Wretched? Whom could we less suppose so? 
what is there wanting for him to enjoy everything that among men in fact are esteemed as blessings parents a country in prosperity friends family relations riches and yet all these are just according to the disposition of him who possesses them to him who knows how to use them they are blessings to him who does not use them rightly they are evils ay but he always was a morose old man and now i dread nothing more father than that in his displeasure you'll be doing something to him more than is justifiable what he aside but i'll restrain myself for that the other one should be in fear of his father is of service to him what is it you are saying to yourself i'll tell you however the case stood clinia ought still to have remained at home perhaps his father was a little stricter than he liked he should have put up with it for whom ought he to bear with if he would not bear with his own father was it reasonable that he should live after his son's humour or his son after his and as to charging him with harshness it is not the fact for the severities of fathers are generally of one character those i mean who are in some degree reasonable men they do not wish their sons to be always wenching they do not wish them to be always carousing they give a limited allowance and yet all this tends to a virtuous conduct but when the mind clitipho has once enslaved itself by vicious appetites it must of necessity follow similar pursuits this is a wise maxim to take warning from others of what may be to your own advantage i believe so i'll now go hence indoors to see what we have for dinner do you seeing what is the time of day mind and take care not to be anywhere out of the way goes into his house and exit clitipho end of act one